So last Sunday, we uh, talked about the church, and we wrapped up that series we've been on called This Is Us, and we got all this information out, and I realized uh, this week that I dropped the ball. Um, because I talked at the end of the service about partnership, and you remember that? I was like, hey, you can go online, and you can do this, and we got papers that you can get, and you can do this, but I never told you, like, what that meant. So, um, so I'm going to do that. So let's rewind back to last uh, Sunday, the end of the message last Sunday, and um, let me tell you what partnership is. If you've been around church for very long in your life, or you've uh, been around, you're a kid, you understand if you've heard the term of membership, like being a member of a church. And oftentimes, to be a member of, that, of a church, you had to be, like, if you were baptized in that church, you just became a member. It was almost like whether you wanted to or not, right? <laughs> if you're baptized here, you're a member here. And, and back in the days, I remember when I was a, a, a kid, um, our churches had to send letters to other churches. If somebody moved away and they started attending another church, you had to get a letter of a transfer of membership from one church to another church. It's a very serious thing. Um, what happened over the years of church membership and this idea of being a member of the church um, really was that church people, um, here at Real Life we call them churchy people, is a term of endearment, it's okay. Um, and so churchy people would feel like if they went to the right church and they had that membership paper certificate, they were like in, right? And so if you go to the right church, if you wear the right clothes, if you say the right things, everything's good. God's just going to let you into heaven. Like you're just going to get to heaven. You're going to pull out your membership paper and you're going to go, look, God, I'm a member of first whatever in this someplace. And uh, it, I always wondered how that worked. Like you, somebody get to heaven, like I'm a member of the first whatever church. And the next guy comes in and goes, I'm a member of the second whatever church. Have you seen that? It's like the second Baptist church in town. Like how would you like to always be known as second? That seems kind of silly to me. Um, I think you should change, they should change their names to like zero Baptist church. Because zero comes before one. On the number scale, that's math. Uh, DJ gets it because he's an engineer. He knows. So what happened over the years was that if you were a member of the right church, like you got special treatment and it was, it was good, and like you had your seed. If you were a member at a church, you got like your seed and maybe you had a little brass plaque stuck up somewhere in, in the building. And so what happened was we connected this idea of membership within the church to that, um, what, what was the, what's the credit card? Um, American Express membership has its privileges. That's right. Good job for those of you who are uh, older. Uh, <laughs> membership has its privileges. And so we felt like that with church. Like, so if I'm a member of this church, I should get privileges for being a member of this church. So I get a better parking spot. I get a better seat when I come into church. Uh, I get special treatment. Um, and, and that really goes completely against everything that Jesus taught his disciples and his church about how we're supposed to function. Because Jesus said that he came to serve and not to be served, and ultimately to give himself as a ransom for everybody. And so when we as Christians begin to think that our membership gets us special privileges and special treatment, that's like, that's not Jesus, right? Right? 
And, and so we decided when we planted uh, Real Life 13 years ago or however long it was, we decided we want to get away from that idea of membership because it has those connotations, like I should get something from it. And we want to instead call that partnership because what's happening is people are partnering together to help us fulfill the mission that God has called us to. So when we talk about partnership here at Real Life, um, you might think about it in the old days as membership, except... It's not membership with privileges, it's partnership with purpose. And so um, that's what we're looking at. So hopefully maybe that helps you um, understand that a little bit, because um, last Sunday like I was like all excited, I'm like, dude, we're going to get this, and we've talked about real life, and about all, I'm going to guilt you a little bit, we've talked about real life, and the gospel, and disciples, and now we come to the end, we talk about the church, and our mission, and what we're trying to do in the, in the world, and I'm going to give this plug at the end for partnership, and we're like, like a whole bunch of people who are going to like partner with the church, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be awesome. We got one paper last week. <laughs> one. One. Thank you. Thank you to that, um, to that one. And anyway, then I realized I never really connected the dots. So now that I've connected the dots, some of the rest of you better kick it up, okay? So <laughs> now I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, only if you're serious about it. But you can go reallifecc.us forward slash partnership or uh, we have papers back at the Connection Hub if you would uh, like to do that now that you understand that uh, a little bit more. Okay, Baptism Sunday today. Again, thank you so much for being here and, um, and coming to those family and friends that have joined those that are going to be immersed later. Uh, and, and you'll get a notice up on the board there when it's time to go and get ready and uh, be ready for that. And so just excited to share with you this morning. Let's pray before we jump into the message. God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for your presence because you promise your presence uh, whenever your people gather. And we thank you for those who are joining us online. God, you've connected us all through your spirit. In fact, it was the Apostle Paul who, who said, even when I'm not with you in person, I am with you in spirit when you come together and, and, and you worship. And so those folks who are um, joining us online are, are just as a part of what's going on here at Real Life as, as those who are, who are in person. And we're just excited for that and for that opportunity. And so thank you for being here, being present with us as we dig into your word, as we talk about baptism and what it means, and, and, and we look at how it's connected way back to the beginning. And God, it's just exciting to dig into your word and see how that um, fits, and we we thank you for the new lives that are going to begin at the end of the service today. And um, God, just thank you for bringing everybody here in the midst of the uh, surprise snow that we had this morning. Um, God, so just, just uh, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to understand, give us minds that are open and um, ready to receive from you exactly what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So on um, February 2nd of 2018, if you've been around for a while, um, you maybe remember this. February 2nd, 2018, my brother Kurt passed away after battling stage 4B follicular non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for more than four years. Uh, if you remember that story, I was gone for about uh, all of the month of October um, in 2016, I think it was. Um, uh, and did a stem cell transplant, uh, was the donor's a stem cell transplant for my 
um, brother, and so a lot of you walk through that with us, and, and, and we're praying for us and a part of that, and so thank you for that. But um, remember February 2nd, lost his battle with that. He actually passed away cancer-free, but the treatments and all of the things that, that, that were done to try and get him cancer-free took a toll on his body. Well, a few days ago, uh, as my mom was preparing to remember his passing, she went back through uh, the emails and correspondence that she and dad had gotten from him while he was walking through um, that journey. So from about April 2014 through January 2017, when he returned home from the cancer center in Seattle, cancer-free, he corresponded with them about how he was doing and wrote to his family and things. And so my mom went back through, um, around the second, she went back through all of those emails and posts and all of those things, and she pulled quotes from his updates about how he was doing. And she pulled quotes where he shared about his confidence in God, or he bragged on um, how God was meeting their needs, fulfilling the things that they needed him to, and um, just answered prayer. And, And so he wrote all of these things about how God had cared for his family, even in the midst of some very difficult and very painful times in, in his journey. To be able to go back then, um, she pulled those quotes and she put them in a, in a document and she sent them to my family. And to be able to go back and read his words, when we now understand a little bit better really the depth of the pain and difficulty, the financial struggles that that they had in the midst of those things. It was really encouraging to be able to to read the things that he said and recognizing God's faithfulness and even in the the little things um, and and, and how God kind of was just there and present and he just, it was just awesome to be able to go back and read some of that and where his heart was in the midst of all of that struggle. And I was thinking about how we get to kind of do that with Jesus as well because we have the Bible. We get to read about what, what he said to his disciples, what he talked about with his followers as the end was coming for him. Like Jesus knew he was going to face the cross. He, he knew exactly when all of that was going to happen. Of course, my brother didn't know that, but Jesus did. And so he knew that the time was getting close. And so several times as you read his biography, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, John, you read the stories there, you'll, you'll hear them, the writers say, Jesus knew the time was getting close. And so this is what he said. He was able to share those things with his disciples and, and, and with his followers. And so one of those times we're going to look at today. So um, Jesus, uh, it's really cool. You can read about it like I was looking in John this, this week, the beginning of chapter 13 in John, John 13, 1. It says, uh, Jesus knew the time was getting close, and so he shared these things with his disciples. And there's this huge amount of just like information that Jesus downloads to his disciples over the next several chapters in John, all of 13, 14, 15, 16, and then about, I think it's the beginning of 17 or so, maybe it's the beginning of 18, where he's actually, we hear the story of the betrayal and he's taken uh, off to, um, to the cross. So he downloads all of this information about the Holy Spirit, about himself, and about how if you, you can't get to God except through Jesus, and, and he just lays all of these things down. And then he goes to the cross, and he dies, and he's in the ground for three days, and the disciples are completely distraught. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going to happen next. 
And then all of a sudden he comes back to life, right? And, and everything changes. Like the light switch just gets flipped on and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're, you're alive. And they, and they see him and it's this incredible thing. But, but again, he knows that he's only going to be there for so long. So Jesus raises from the dead and then he gets 40 days where he gets to share more with the disciples. Now on the other side of death, right? And he's sharing things from a completely different perspective, and the very last thing that he tells his disciples before he goes back up to the Father to wait until what Revelation says, a time where, where, where like nobody knows, right, until Jesus comes back. And, and so he shares with the disciples some very important things in Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to go there real quick and, and look at this. Jesus came and he said to them, this is the last thing Jesus says before he gets taken up into heaven. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there are three imperatives given here for the disciples, and, and really, I think, for the church. Now, this, what Jesus said, he said to the disciples, but he really said to all of the church, because through the disciples, the church was going to begin, right? They're going to go and they're going to share these important things. They're going to tell people what Jesus said at the end of his, his uh, earthly life and his earthly time, and they're going to build the church. And so this was stuff that was going to be passed through forever. And, and we have the same place. We're like, this is the same place. You go to any church that follows Jesus, that follows the Bible, and you're going to find they're going to, they're going to point to this and go, this is what we're about. This is what we're trying to do. And so there are three imperatives given in this passage of Scripture where Jesus says, look, this is what, if you're a church, if you're a disciple, this is what you need to be about. And, and the first one he says is that you should make disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Disciple, the word disciple means learner or follower, somebody who follows Jesus like a journeyman. So you're following Jesus with the intention of learning the things that he knows, reproducing the way he acts, the way he talks. Jesus even says, you're going to be able to do the things that I can do because I'm going through to the Father. And so every church should be about making disciples. Secondly, he says that once you've made those disciples, you should baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism was a thing that went way back to the temple. The priest had to be baptized. They had to be immersed. They had to wash themselves ritually in water before they could enter the temple. And when they came out, they had to wash. I mean, there was this whole big ritual that went on. And, and even closer to Jesus, John the Baptist came baptizing in the Jordan River, a baptism for repentance. And so it wasn't about the Holy Spirit. It really wasn't about Jesus. It was just setting the stage. Like, like hey, if, if you haven't been living your life the way you know God would have you live your life, be baptized, recognizing your sin, and then kind of making a promise to God that you're going to live better. And so they were fairly familiar with that um, concept. And then he says, you need to teach them to observe, or other translations say, obey all that I have commanded you. And so I think there's a specific reason that, that Jesus said it this way. Make learners, make disciples or followers of, of me, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything that, that I've commanded you. When I was uh, in college, uh, the Andrea at, uh, at Ozark, going to Bible college, so I was like young and dumb. 
right? Young and younger and dumber. Let me just say it that way. Uh, there was a comedian that, that we listened to that we really, really like. I can't remember his name. Maybe Andrea will remember it later. But um, he, he turned out to be a complete fraud. But uh, part of his shtick was that he had been involved in satanic uh, occult kind of stuff and that he'd come out of that. And, and so he talked a lot about it. He made jokes and he had this big story that he, that he shared. But, um, but the, the one bit, and I don't know why I remember this, but the one bit that I remember uh, that he shared before was a story about going into a church and he was going to uh, give his deal and he's going to talk and, and share and whatever. And he said that a, a mom brought her son who had, had been um, smoking dope and brought him like, you know, hey, you're coming, like you need Jesus. Any parents familiar with that? You, like, come with me, you need Jesus because we're going to force you like to receive him. And so they, she comes and, and, he, and he said he, they sat up close to the front and like the kid was like falling asleep. And the mom kept elbowing him to wake him up. I remember that when I was a kid. Mom used to do that with me. And, and then he would get like real hungry and he'd be rifling through her purse looking for something to eat. And, and this went on through his whole deal. And, and, and when church got over, everything was over, he says he was out in the foyer and he was just kind of standing there shaking people out as they, as they left. And, and this kid comes up to him, still stone, right? And, and he comes up and he asks this guy, do I need to get cleaned up? Uh, or, or do I need to stop smoking dope to accept Jesus? That's what he said. And, and so he said, the guy said, like everybody in the, in the whole foyer is like really quiet. Like what's this guy going to say? And he, and he gave him this response. Do you have to get cleaned up to take a bath? No, we don't, right? I think there's a very specific reason that Jesus lays things out this way. Make disciples, baptize, and then teach them to obey. But Because look, if we waited until we were perfect to be baptized, none of us would ever be baptized. Right? We'd never get it. My, my mom used to say, if you wait until you have enough money to have children, you'll never have children. So we started when we were 21. Didn't have anything. So I was like, well, okay, mom. That's what she said. Uh, so there's a reason that Jesus lays the things out. That he's like, look, this is a process. We've said before, it's not perfection that God is interested in. It's progress. So we're making progress to look more, um, look more like Jesus. And so the church is commanded to do these three things. And today, I want to focus most or focus in on this concept of being baptized. Baptism goes all the way back um, almost to the very beginning of time. After God created the world, it was about 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And in Noah's generation, that's when God um, looked at the, the earth and, and, and he noted that um, all of mankind's intentions were evil like all the time. He says, he looks at humanity, he goes like, from birth, they're just evil. And they just, evil, it's just it's terrible. And so... God sends a flood, right? He floods the world. Everybody dies. Everything dies except for what's in the ark. And, and, and Noah and, and, his, and his wife and his kids, his kids' wives, and everything dies through that worldwide flood. Here's what Peter says about that event. 
He said, um, God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So um, it took a lot of years for Noah and his kids to build this ark because like nobody, like it never rained before, so nobody helped him with it. God was patient in those days while Noah built the ark and he prepared that. And, and, and through that ark, a few, eight people were brought safely through the water. And he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, he says, baptism is connected to this worldwide flood. And this baptism, it now saves you. So just like the flood saved Noah and his family through the ark, baptism, he says, saves us. But it's not like we would expect. It's not like getting washed. It's not like taking a bath or being clean. It's not the removal of the dirt from the outside of the body. But it's an appeal to God for a good or a clean conscience. And, and that good and clean conscience only comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so if Jesus would not have been resurrected, would not come back to life, baptism loses its purpose and its meaning, right? So we get this clean conscience. God is able to give us a clean, he's able to clean it from the inside out because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus conquered death, baptism has meaning. Now let's move on a, a few uh, hundred years. God calls Abraham from his homeland and he promises to make Abraham into a great nation. In fact, he says, I'll give you so many children, so many offspring, that, that they'll be more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. Like, you won't be able to, to count them. And, and God says, I'm not going to do this, Abraham, because you're a great person, like because you're perfect, or because you've got it all figured out, or, or like Noah, you were righteous before me. God didn't choose Abraham because he was righteous or, or good. He chose him because... God himself was righteous and good. God had this plan from the beginning. And so he chose a guy who wasn't perfect because for the rest of the time he knew he was never going to find anybody perfect. And so he didn't want us to think that, that we had to be perfect and able to come to him. And so he, he calls Abraham. He's like, look, Abraham, you're going to be an example for everybody else. And so I'm calling you into this covenant relationship with me, not because you're good, but because I'm good. And he makes these promises to, to Abraham. And then Abraham's wife gives birth later, and they're about 100 years old, gives birth to a son, Isaac. And then Isaac, his wife, has Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob is the one through whom the covenant promises come with God. And, and, and Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. And then Israel and his family, about 70 people, are caught in a famine in the promised land. And they end up, you remember the story, Joseph goes down into Egypt first and becomes number two in all of Egypt and he's providing and he's protecting, he's like caring for everybody, he's getting the food all stored up and he makes Egypt survive through that whole time. And so Israel, Jacob and his 70 family members come from the promised land down to Egypt to live there because Joseph is there and they end up spending about 450 years in Egypt. Now the first 200 years go go pretty good. Like they got everything, everything's great. Like the thing's just rocking and rolling. It's all awesome. Um, but then a new king comes to power in Egypt, a new king that doesn't remember all the stuff that Joseph and his family did, and he gets scared. And so for the last 250 years or so of, of Israel's time in Egypt, they're slaves to Pharaoh. 
And after they've been slaved about 250 years, this guy named Moses comes up on the scene. And God says, Moses, I'm going to use you to free my people from Egypt. To free them from slavery and oppression and death in Egypt. And so he uses Moses, and, and God leads the people out of Egypt. They, they crossed the Gulf of Aqaba, and then they went into the wilderness there, and then they were there for 40 years before they crossed the Jordan River, and they went into the Promised Land, and they began to overtake and possess the, the Promised Land. And both times, they crossed the, the Jordan River, they crossed the Gulf of Aqaba on dry land. It's these incredible miracles that took place for the people to get through and get to the promised land. And, and here's what Paul says about those events. He says, I don't want you to be unaware that our, our fathers, he's talking about the nation of Israel, our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. And he's talking about sea, he's talking about the Gulf of Aqaba and the Jordan River. They passed through water. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Remember the presence of God in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud led the Israelites while they were in the, in the wilderness. So um, he, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna that came up on the ground. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. Moses hit that great big rock, the rock of Horeb, and it split open and enough water came out. This is really crazy. We don't think about this very often. Enough water came out of that rock for 40 years. It created a river through the desert that sustained the Israelites for that whole 40 years that they wandered in the desert. <coughs> Excuse me. So he says, look, you, re you remember this manna that you ate for 40 years and this water that came out of the rock for 40 years? That was spiritual food and spiritual drink because they all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock, he says, was Christ. And so Peter connects what happened with Moses as they walk through the water and Gulf of Aqaba and, and, and the Jordan River and, and the manna and the water. He connects, he says, look, that was Jesus. Jesus was there sustaining you and leading you through the wilderness. Now, after the Israelites had been in the promised land for about 1,400 years, this guy named Jesus shows up. And, and right before Jesus shows up and begins his ministry, his cousin John has his own ministry, right? John, it says, came as one calling in the wilderness, make uh, straight the paths for the Lord. And, and he said as he would baptize people, there's, there's one who's going to come after me who's greater than I am, and I, I'm not even worthy to untie his, his sandals. And, and so um, I'm baptizing you for repentance, and, and it's just like it's your personal decision, like you want to get right with, with God. But there's a guy who's going to come after me who's going to have an even greater and more significant baptism. So he's like, I'm, I'm just prepping you for what's going to come. Now, um, listen, when we talk about baptism in the Old Testament, um, this just, like, just occurred to me. Uh, God's just like, hey, don't forget this. Uh, so guess who, um, like, like wash, like the people, if you were unclean, you had to be washed. So the high priest, the priest would come in, they're going to serve in the temple. They wash in the big, um, there's a giant brass cup 
called a laver in front of the temple. And they had to wash in that before they could start doing the things that they were doing. But if you were not temple worship and you, you were out, like you, you had to wash your clothes. You had to wash your body in order to be clean. And so they, were, they understood that, but, it, but it was, they understood that it was this thing that you did that, that, that cleansed you, it purified you until the next time that you sinned. And so John says, look, you understand this. This is not a baptism of purification. It's a baptism of repentance. So it's a little different. But then somebody's going to come after me who's going to baptize you, and it's going to have greater significance, greater importance than this baptism. And and we're going to see why in a minute. And so um, at about 30 years old, Jesus shows up at the Jordan River, John is baptizing people there. There's a crowd of people. He's preaching and he's teaching and he's baptizing. And, and, and Jesus comes down into the, into the water. Now, John, I think, knew that Jesus was his cousin, but he didn't really know that Jesus was the Messiah. He was waiting for him. See, God had told John that um, he would know who the Messiah was when he would see a sign from heaven. And so John was just waiting for that to happen. And so Jesus shows up, and Jesus comes down into, into the water, and he's going to be baptized. And, and, and John's like, you know, look, John knew he was a good guy. And so he's like, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, this is to fulfill all righteousness. And so John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. And when he pulls Jesus up out of the water, the, the text says that the sky opens up. It's ripped apart. And the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes down like a dove. So it's, we don't know exactly what happened or how it happened, but that's the, it, that's the idea. Like a dove, it came down. And, 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 and then Jesus immediately went into the wilderness where he was um, for 40 days. He was tempted by Satan for 40 days in, in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, by the way, is, is the land on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan River. The promised land was on the west side the Jordan River. The wilderness was on the east. So when the Israelites came in to take the promised land, they came around to the east side of the Jordan. The uh, Ark of the Covenant went down into the Jordan River. The water stopped and the people crossed while the Ark stayed there in the middle of the river. The people crossed on dry land to get into the promised land. Jesus comes from the promised land and he's baptized by John in the Jordan River and then he goes into the wilderness. It's likely, although I'm, I'm, I'm not for sure, because how can we really know for sure, but, but it's probably likely that the place that Jesus was baptized by John is at or near the place that the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. The, the place where the marker was and the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God had gone down into the water and stopped there. Jesus comes in, and, and, and so, but look, um, this is cool because Jesus is kind of reproducing what happened with the Israelites. So the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they crossed the Jordan on dry land, and they went into the promised land. Jesus comes from the promised land because he's pure, right? Like he hasn't sinned, and he's baptized, not uh, for repentance, not for his sins. In fact, Baptism represents the death and burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and that hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen for three and a half years. And so Jesus is 
baptized in this, in this significant way, and, and, and it's, it's really, we're going to talk about that more in a minute, but this is really cool, and then Jesus comes up out of the water, God says, I'm, this is my son, and I'm pleased with him, and immediately he goes into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, you see the connection here? Jesus comes back. Jesus is buried under the water of the Jordan River. God stopped the Jordan River to let the people go through. It's this huge, beautiful symbolism that is connecting the, the b- baptism of Jesus to the coming in of the promised land of the Israelites. And it even goes farther than that. We can go back to Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Joshua and who crossed the Jordan and who didn't get to cross the Jordan, how they went back and, and, and forth. Is this beautiful um, picture. But um, the Jordan is a, a boundary in, the, in Jesus' time. And what was on the other side of the Jordan was darkness and evil and Egypt and, and slavery and bondage. And what was in the promised land was partnership with God and, 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 and provision and protection. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going into um, what's happening here. Now, Paul talks about this in Romans, so let's look at that. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, this is not a baptism of repentance like John, it's not a baptism of purification only like the Old Testament, but you've been baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death, and and we were buried, therefore, to get the idea to put under the water, buried, therefore, with him, By baptism, we're buried into death, but not to stay there. We're buried into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we can be buried and we can come and have a new life. We can come out of that death to our old self and into a new life. There's another passage I want to look at in Galatians for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of, of God. By the way, most of the time when the Bible uses that, that word, it's a, it's a neutral word. So we're all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. And there is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. It's significant that that we're told that we're baptized into Christ and that we've put him on. In, In Romans 6, Paul tells us that those who have been baptized have been somehow connected with Jesus in his death. His death, we know, was once for all mankind. Jesus died in our place to pay for our sin, to make us righteous before God, not because of the things that we have done. It's not by works that we can boast, like, look, I've done enough. I was baptized, or I helped the old lady cross the street, or whatever. But, but we, this happens through Jesus. Oh my goodness, where's the time gone? Is it really? Okay. All right, uh, so, um, was once for all, all time. 
And because we're buried under the water as Jesus was buried in the ground, when we come up out of the water, it's like we're being raised from the dead into a new life just as Jesus was. So after Jesus rose from the dead, life was different for him. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. But he says to Mary Magdalene when he sees her after he comes out of the grave, he says, don't hold on to me because I haven't gone to the Father. See, Jesus was different. They could see him. They could touch him. They put their hands in the holes in his, in his hands and, and his side. He ate fish with them on the side of the Sea of Galilee as they sat on the beach. Jesus was a real person, but he also could disappear and reappear just like that. So when Jesus came back from the grave, when he rose from the grave, he was flesh, he was physical, but he was also spiritual. He had more of this power that, that, God, uh, that he had before um, his physical birth, okay? So there was like different things. Yes, he could walk on water before, but he didn't disappear, reappear, and all this kind of stuff. It was different. Jesus had a different life when he came back um, from the grave. In Galatians, we're told, that is not just about connecting Jesus' death and resurrection when we're baptized. We put on Christ. So we're to become like him. We, we talk about that. We want to look like Je- more, more like Jesus every day. So we put on Christ. And once we put on Christ, we no longer have to function in life based on um, what Galatians says, based on identity politics. Did you catch that? He says, look, you don't have to live your life anymore based on your religion or your, or, or, or your gender or your race because it's not about that. In Christ, we're all one. What color your skin is and, and what gender you are, and that, like, that's not important. What's important is, have you put on Christ? Do you look like Jesus? Are you following Him? And you're, are you a disciple? Are you actually following Him? in your day-to-day life. We don't have to consider those things that divide us anymore when we serve others, and we don't have to classify ourselves in those ways. We can love everyone just like Jesus did because we don't have to look at those things. We don't have to look at everyone based on outward situation or appearance. We can just look at people like they're people who are loved by Jesus. And so this idea changes everything. Paul says baptism was about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember, that hadn't happened yet. So, so why? Why was Jesus baptized? Why was God proud of him? Well, I was believed that Jesus was baptized to signify a new beginning in his own life. Like the new beginning that we experience when we follow his example of baptism. There's very little information in the Bible about Jesus' life before his baptism. Right? We know a couple things about that time, but not very much. We know a whole lot about his life and his ministry after his baptism. So Jesus kicked his ministry into high gear when he was baptized. In a way, Jesus' real life, his life of ministry began. But the life that he actually came to live began after his baptism. And I think the same is true for us. See, God was pleased with Jesus because Jesus' baptism signified his willingness to obey God's plan for his life without excuse or condition until he fulfilled all that God had for him to do, even though that meant his death. And think about it. Jesus, as God, completely understood what waited for him at the cross. He knew what was going to happen. He could feel that pain. 
And yet to kick off his ministry, he's baptized in, a, in, a, in an act that represents what's going to happen at the end of his life. Well, that had to be a profound moment. Let me wrap it up this way. Because I, I think this is really cool. Through Noah and the flood, there was a worldwide baptism. Through Moses, the Jordan River, there was a national baptism. And then when Jesus comes, there's a personal, individual baptism. So, so catch this. Um, through Noah's baptism, we learn that being in the right family isn't enough. So, so maybe you grew up in church or, or maybe you're, you know, your parent or grandparent was somebody special in the church. We, we learn through, through Noah that it's not about your family. Your family can't save you. Like that, that doesn't get passed on generation to generation. There was sin before the flood and there was sin after the flood. <laughs> Pretty quickly after the flood, actually. Through Moses' baptism, Israel's baptism, we learn that being a part of the right people group or identifying um, yourself with a, a certain group, um, even as a Christian or non-Christian, doesn't save you. Right? So coming to church on Sunday morning and go, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I believe in, in Jesus. Identifying yourself with a certain group doesn't save you. Through Jesus' baptism, we learn that it's not about us at all. It's not about our family. It's not about how we identify ourselves, but it's about Jesus' death and his resurrection. Just like Jesus' baptism signifies the beginning of his ministry and, and this obedience to God that leads to his death, baptism signifies the beginning of our partnership in the gospel with Jesus. It, it means a, a thousand little deaths each day to ourselves and the way that we want to live and the things that we want to do so that we can live fully obedient lives to God. It means that we'll trust God like Jesus did without excuse or condition, even if it eventually means our death because of our faith in Jesus and our hope in eternal life. Baptism doesn't change anything on the outside, but it changes everything on the inside. We go into the water with our selfish nature, and we come out having died to ourselves and taking on, putting on the life of Christ. Like Paul says, we put on Christ. And so today, we've got four people who are ready to put on Christ and to begin their new lives as disciples in, in Jesus. And I want you to know that there's room for you. And, and so if, if you've come this morning and you were not prepared, you were not thinking about being, about like it was not even on your radar, look, we got you. We got shorts, we got shirts, we got towels in the back. And, and so if, if you're at this place, you're like, you know, I've never taken this step or um, maybe I believed for a long time and I've just never uh, been obedient in that way or maybe never even thought about it before. If you want to participate in that, you can do that um, this morning. 
And so um, we've got that stuff in, in the back. I don't know where Deanna is, but um, okay, good. Uh, so Deanna's back there, and, and if you're like, okay, hey, look, I'm ready, and I don't know what's going on, just go back and see her, and we'll get you on the end of the line, and we'll um, make that happen in, in just a, a, a little bit. Um, let, let me um, finish with a few of these. One month after my brother received his stem cell transplant, he wrote this. I ask you, does life get any better than this? True, we have had some rough spots in the road recent, but eventually you get to know the road and you get familiar with the rough spots and you can work your way through them. God continues to strengthen us beyond our ability. January 8th, 2017, three months after transplant and still waiting to be completely cancer-free. He had attended church uh, at, uh, uh, in Seattle. And he wrote this to the pastor. He says, Worth's sermon today at West Seattle Christian hit hard on Paul's message of making my life magnify Christ through living and even through death. January 24th, he's nearly cancer-free. Had a CT scan, found the tiniest clot in my lung. They say the smaller the clot, the greater the pain. Must be a super tiny clot. Anyway, they sent us to UW uh, Hospital for observation and medications. Maybe a couple days, then he screams in his, <laughs> in his message. But God is greater than the clotting man. He's talking about himself. And I am here until I fulfill his purpose. And so I will be patient and probably even smile because I do not have to be in charge of this situation. God's grace is enough. You may not understand every facet or nuance of baptism. Even after this morning, you may not completely understand how it fits into God's plan. You've maybe heard me say this before. Getting dunked in the water is kind of a silly thing. And there's no reason in earth that we would do it except that Jesus says to do it. Except that in doing it, we're connected with him in a way that nothing else connects us with his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus asks us not to understand everything, though, but simply to be obedient in the middle. Trusting that full understanding is going to come in the end. And after you've died to yourself, it's only then that you can truly live. just crying. Thanks, Dad. Um, but the, it's an upbeat song, and we're celebrating um, our new brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's stand up, and uh, we'll sing one more song.
the songs through its life They're living life to a whole different tune Have you ever met those that Keep hoping when it's hopeless it's like They figured out what the rest haven't yet The second you realize What you have inside It's only just a matter of time Till you sing So the back row hears you glide Walking just won't do dance You don't have to know how to Ever since, ever since grace got you left Till your whole side's hurt and smile Like you just got away with something Why? Cause you just got away with Is something harder? Ever since, ever since grace got you When you're standing in the rain again You might as well be dancing Why? Cause there ain't no storm that can change how this ends So next time when you feel blue don't let that smile leave you Why? Cause you have every reason just to sing So the back row hears you glide Cause walking just won't do dance You don't have to know how to Ever since, ever since grace got you left And your whole side's hurt and smile Like you just got away with something Why? Cause you just got away with something Ever since, ever since grace got you 